Amen. You know, I think it's only been two weeks. But boy, it seems a lot longer than that, doesn't it? Since the last time we were here together. Last week, of course, we had tremendous meetings with uh, Dr. Rosado. That was uh, tremendous messages and uh, encouragements and uh, challenges and exhortations. And now uh, this afternoon, turn with me if you would, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. We are still uh, working through this chapter. Christ, of course, is in the temple in Jerusalem, teaching and answering questions as he goes. <clears throat> and today I think we will, oh, I don't know, let's do something crazy. Let's read the text of our message today first, and then we will uh, get to what the Lord has laid on my heart for this particular message. Mark chapter 12, and find your way, if you would, to verse number 28. Verse number 28. And the Bible here reads, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that, durst ask him any question. Praise be to God for his preserved word. <clears throat> I have titled today's message, Being Smart with Wisdom. Being Smart with Wisdom. If you recall a couple of weeks ago, and for those that took notes, you could probably just flip the page and look back. Last, uh, last time we met, uh, we talked about when worldly wisdom is not enough. Well, this next passage talks about, I believe, being smart with wisdom. Now, when we did last meet for this gospel study, I think there was one standout question in the text that really kind of, I think it kind of frames an underlying principle in all of Jesus' teaching. That question was asked of his inquisitors by Jesus, and as they carefully posed a scenario and a question concerning a truth which they didn't even believe in, which was the resurrection after death into the spiritual realm, Jesus asked a very telling and a straightforward question. In our last text passage, Jesus asked, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? Now Jesus said also at another time, as recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 5 and verse 39, he says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. But then 
In the end of that verse, Jesus reveals the truth about all of God's inspired scriptures when he concludes in that same verse and says, and they, that is the scriptures. Now remember, he just said, search the scriptures. He said, and they are they which testify of me. Meaning that eternal life is not found in the Mosaic or the Levitical law. It is only found through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. It is why, I believe, God inspired Paul to write to Timothy when he said, All scripture, you know the verse, is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, the underlying principle, I think, of Jesus' teaching was that the answer to every quandary in our life is found in himself. That is, in the word which became flesh and dwelt among men. But that he is only physically present in this world for a short time. But, well, I'm using a whole bunch of those buts that the pastor doesn't like to hear. But! The scriptures remain as our tangible evidence and truth of Christ himself. So we are to, as the Bible tells us, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. Like the Sadducees in our previous text, who really put themselves to shame by not What does the Bible say? Rightly dividing. That means understanding and applying by not rightly dividing the word of truth. Now God in heaven even told us plainly through the wisest earthly king to ever live. Who was that? Solomon. God tells us through Solomon's writings in Proverbs chapter 4, wisdom is the principle, that's the first, the most important. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, he says, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. And he also charged us in verse 5 of that same chapter, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Well, The ongoing problem, I think, with not only the Sadducees that we saw a couple of weeks ago, but also the Pharisees, as well as what we've been studying about the scribes and the chief priests in large part, was, as Jesus pointed out, not having the true knowledge or understanding of the Scriptures. That was the problem. They thought they knew what the scriptures said. They read them and then they applied them how they wanted to apply them to make themselves seem oh so wise and religious. Here in our text today we find yet another example of an attempt, I believe, to be smart with wisdom. Now I believe this scribe indeed had the knowledge of the law. But I believe the text also shows an exhortation to be careful against being uh, what we might call a smart aleck rather than being smart or being a wise guy 
instead of being wise. Three points I want to examine with you today briefly. From our text, I believe we'll look at the inquiry, we'll look at the interpretation, and thirdly, we'll look at the implication. The inquiry, the interpretation, and the implication of this message being smart with wisdom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we do look to your word today, there is no way that I can glean any information outside of what the Holy Spirit helps me with. Father, won't you help each one of us? You promised us that where we are gathered together in your name, that you'd be right here with us. Father, you promised us through many accounts that you'd go through the trials of life together with us. Lord, that if we will look to you, that you will, if we will draw nigh to you, that you will draw nigh to us. So God, this afternoon, as we draw nigh to your word, Lord, open our hearts, open our understanding, Father. May the words that are spoken, may the Holy Spirit use them to touch my heart and those of anyone that may hear your word today. Oh, how we do pray for your will to be accomplished. Work mightily in our hearts, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so first, let's take a look at the inquiry. Now, <clears throat> the scribe that comes here in verse number 28, actually, if you look at just the raw question that he has, it's actually a great question. Which is the first commandment? There is no doubt that as a scribe, this man had extensive knowledge. Of, do you know what the scribes did in the temple? Do you know what the scribes were there for? The scribes were there as legal entities. They were there to write legal documents and to adjudicate the, the, the legalities of the Jewish law and custom. So there was no doubt that he had an extensive knowledge of Jewish law and custom and would certainly be well-versed in the doctrine that was taught there in the temple. Remember that Jesus here is in the temple. The Pharisees are there, the Sadducees are there, the scribes and the chief priests are there. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful if we'd have religious understanding in our courts? Oh, that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Anyway, I digress. Our text here tells us that we had... Uh, that the scribe had heard this previous exchange and how Jesus had answered it. Not only how he answered the contrived question about relationships in the spiritual realm or in the resurrection as it was stated, but Jesus in his answer also addressed the deeper issue of life after death and the eternal living nature of God and his supremacy in verse 28. Uh, or, he had answered that previously. Now we get to verse 28. Look at what it says again. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, in other words, he, he heard that exchange with Christ just previously. He heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Now it certainly seems as though this is an honest inquiry. If he's a legal entity you'd want to know which is the most important part of what he should be thinking. But I believe we can all attest to the fact that regardless of our knowledge, no matter how much book learning or street learning we've ever gotten, there's always something new that we ought to and we can learn, especially from the Lord. Amen? There's always something new that we can learn. Yet I wonder... I wonder if this was if this was yet another attempt to catch Jesus in some slightest 
misspeaking a, a word against the Jewish law and custom. Now we know from Scripture that the scribes in general and the Pharisees were always looking for ways to discredit and to blame Jesus for anything just so they could get him out of the way. In fact, it was these same scribes and the chief priests that earlier in the chapter sent certain of the Pharisees and the Herodians to, what's the Bible tell us in verse 13? Catch him in his words. Now keep in mind also that the scribes were expert in Jewish law and custom, as we just mentioned a moment ago. And they would absolutely know, based on the Jewish law and custom, what is the first and great commandment. How do we know that? Well, if you let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Turn back to Deuteronomy with me just for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This, of course, is an area in which Moses is recounting to the nation of Israel all that God has spoken through him. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and look what the Bible says here in verses 1 through 5. It says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Verse 3 says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers had promised thee in the land that floweth milk and honey. Now look at verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Boy, that sounds familiar. That's the, that's the Jewish law and custom that the scribes were experts in keeping. So there's no doubt that this scribe would have known the answer to this question, which is the first and greatest of all these commandments. So his inquiry, while the question itself is a great question, the inquiry seems really to be more of a test for Jesus than an honest question. How Jesus responds, however, is the true standard by which we ought also pattern our own interactions with those who would seem to be interested in our Christian life and walk, though historically they might oppose all that we do and say. Have you ever met somebody like that? Have you ever, have you ever had any acquaintances like that? That, you know, when you start talking about the Lord, or you start talking about church, oh, they seem really interested. Oh, that's great. That's, yeah, that's great for you. But then if you happen to walk up to them at the water cooler, at the coffee pot, or something else, uh, they're certainly not interested in anything Christian. That's the same idea. But Jesus here, when he's, when he's confronted, if you will, by this opposing scribe that really just wants to discredit him, his answer provides for us a pattern, I do believe. Which brings us to that second point, the interpretation. Not only the Lord, only the Lord, knows the true heart of any person. And only the Lord understands any true motive behind any given interaction. 
And so was the case here in our text. But rather than address the apparent or true motive of the scribe's heart and his inquiry, rather than calling him out for say, how dare you, you ought to know the law, rather than any of that, Jesus had the wisdom to recognize that there were others standing there present with him who really were truly seeking godly wisdom and direction. They were following Jesus because Jesus spoke the truth. Jesus was the teacher. Jesus was the one that had the answers. And so as they're all standing there with him, Jesus had the wisdom to say, if I call him out, what's it going to do for them? That's not going to benefit them at all. The answer, the question was a good question. Rather than upbraid, well, you've heard that term before, haven't you? Rather than upbraid the scribe for trying and tempting the Lord, now, you know what upbraid means? Do you remember what that means? Well, upbraid, by definition, means to charge with something disgraceful, to chide, or to reprove sorely and severely. That's upbraiding. Rather than do so, Jesus simply spoke the truth in direct answer to the inquiry. Look at verses 29 and 30. Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Now, I believe he answered this way for the benefit of, as I said, all of the others who were standing there. Notice, though, that he also includes, before he finishes speaking, he includes the exhortation that makes the commands of God most personally relatable. Wait. The commandments of God are personally relatable? Absolutely they are. They ought to be. And look at how Jesus ties that in. The personal relation to God through the commands. Look with me in verse 31. He says, and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. You see, all of the commandments of God have to do with how we love God and one another. Because all of the commandments of God feed into taking care of our relationship with God and with others. Now, if you've ever asked someone to do something for you, or maybe you've just asked somebody to help out, there seems to be, if, if the answer is yes, now, there's always a yes and a no. I mean, if you answer, ask somebody to do something or to help you out, and they say, yeah, right, no, I mean, that's, one, that's one problem. But if the, if the answer happens to be a positive, yes, I can help you out, there seems to be two types of yes responses. When it's yes, I think it's either, okay, fine, I'll do it. No, I really don't want to. Fine, yes, okay, fine, I'll do that. Well, that's not a very positive yes response. Or there is a, oh, sure, I'll be happy to help. Now, let me ask you. When you ask somebody to help or when you ask somebody to do something for you, which response would you rather get? Okay, fine, if I have to. That's not, nobody wants to hear that. God doesn't want to hear that. God wants to hear, yes, Lord, I'd be happy to do that. Yes, Lord. God loveth a cheerful giver of our time, talent, and treasure. 
Which one of the most effective to edify and encourage and honor and bless you? Well, obviously, we always already said the latter. So it is with loving God first. The commandments that God has given, God tells us that we are to love God. Well, okay, if I have to. Well, that's, that's lo not love. The commands he has given will be understood for their value if we love God truly. Understanding his commands for the value they hold in pleasing God and, um, and, and protecting ourselves. Isn't that what the commandments of God are for? One, they serve to please God because we're obeying. But two, they serve to protect ourselves in our spiritual walk, in our walk through a sorely evil and sinful world. And when we love our neighbor, <laughs> when we love our neighbor, everything you do will have their best interest in mind. Just as God always has our best interest and ultimate conformance to reflect the very person of his son, Jesus Christ, at heart. I believe if Jesus had first responded by pointing out the fact that the scribe knows the law and the custom and had not given the direct answer and the loving exhortation that he did, even though it would have been a true response, it would have had no value for anyone present with him. It would have potentially emboldened someone else to say, you know that, I don't have to answer you. That would be an example of not loving that person. Doesn't God say that he loves everyone, even the scribe and the Pharisee and the Sadducee and the chief priests? You see, if, if Jesus had not answered as he did, Oh, it would have set a very bad precedent. Instead, Jesus lived out his very own words from the Sermon on the Mount. Wait, what? How, where'd that come from? Well, it came from Matthew chapter 5. You know, if you need to see what that is. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 40, uh, through 45. What does that say? Well, I'm going to turn there. You can if you like. Matthew chapter 5. just want to read that to you directly. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 says, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus was in the temple and the scribes, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, they all, they all hated Jesus. Jesus had said, ye have heard it been said that thou shalt love, uh, love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which disciplely use you and persecute you. That... Ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You see, Jesus, his response, oh, his response was one of mercy and grace. His response was demonstrating the very love of God toward all who will receive it. Don't we sometimes respond in ways that don't really show how much we love somebody? <laughs> don't we respond sometimes in ways that, boy, I wouldn't have thought a Christian would act that way. Jesus is our best example for those that seem to be our enemies, 
those that seem to not like us, those that seem to hate us as Christians. Jesus faced that every day of his earthly ministry. But Jesus was wise with the wisdom that God had given him. Not like the scribe who thought that he was going to be wise and use Jesus' own words. We're going to see if we can trap him. We're going to see if he'll misspeak something. You see, he was trying to be a smart aleck with the wisdom that he contained, that he owned. Jesus' response was one of mercy and grace. Thus demonstrating the love of God toward all who receive it brings us to our third point. The implication. What do I mean by this term? You know what the term implication means? Well, you probably do. Probably you know it better than I do. You may have heard a phrase, something like the implications of our actions. You ever heard something like that? The implications of the things that we do. What are the implications? Or something similar. It simply refers to the possible conclusions or the effects that can be drawn as a result of our actions. So, many times, actions, behaviors, Comments, even, even words that we speak can have either positive or negative outcomes. Or sometimes they can, they can actually have both, positive and negative outcomes. Jesus' actions here in his response to the scribes seemingly had a rather profound positive outcome, at least for this scribe. Look what the Bible tells us here, starting in verse 32. It says, And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and, and to love his neighbor as himself, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. What likely started here, as an attempt to trap Jesus once again, turned into a recognition by the scribe that the truth of God will always prevail. The scribe's own statement, verse 32, indicates his understanding that even the doctrines taught by the Pharisees and the Sadducees are ultimately faulty, regardless of how emphatically they will preach them. Just because someone is passionate about something that they say doesn't necessarily make that statement the truth. Amen? The scribe further demonstrated his fuller understanding by including a statement that wasn't even part of his question. In fact, he included the statement that loving God and his neighbor is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. See, that wasn't part of his initial question. But he realized, as Jesus told him, love thy neighbor as thyself. Love God. He realized that it's more important than any amount of sacrifice that could ever be done according to the tenets of the law. Now where this is so profound is in the inclusion of all of the aspects of life that, he, that the scribe mentioned. He said, all the heart. Love God with all the heart. With all the understanding. With all the soul. With all the strength. And to love the neighbor as himself. Which means just to do for them any and all things that we might do for ourselves. Now, now I'm going to suggest that we like to do things for ourselves to make our, you know, take care of ourselves. We like to make sure that we're okay, that we're safe for the most part. Loving your neighbor means that you're going to do the same for them. Making sure that they're okay. Providing for what they need. So Jesus acknowledges this man's evident change of heart. 
in verse 34. Verse 34 says, Jesus, when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, that simply means that he answered prudently according to the truth. That's what that means. When Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Notice, though, that by Jesus' own words there, just acknowledging the truth, as the scribe did here, is not enough. He said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. It doesn't say that just because you've acknowledged the truth, you are part of the kingdom of God now. He said, You're not far, you're close. But it takes more than just acknowledging the truth. Now that you have the understanding, that's great. But the knowledge must lead to letting go of the traditions and the letter of the law that we tend to cling to so tightly and trust only in the person of Jesus Christ. Think back a long time ago. I don't know how long you've been saved. However long it's been. Think back before that. You were brought up. You were taught things. You were taught morals. You were taught some values. You were taught good things to do, bad things you should not do. You were taught all those things. Those were the laws. Those were the rules. Those were mom and dad's rules. Maybe they were grandpa and grandma's rules. I don't know. If you understood the rules, that's fine. And if you abide by those rules, that's fine. But that didn't do, doesn't do anything for you eternally. It's good to live by the rules. It's good to live by the law. But that brings us close. Not quite all the way. We have to let go of holding on to those things as our eternal basis and put our trust simply and wholly in Jesus Christ. For no other man-made reasoning is ever sufficient. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 13. And I'm going to close with this. Romans chapter 13. While you're turning there, hold your finger there. Well, I'm just going to turn over to Ephesians very quickly because I want to share something out of Ephesians chapter 5 as well. Because of these things that we're learning in the Gospel of Mark, Paul writes to the Ephesians, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. You see, those, that's the example that we ought to be, that we ought to live by, like by Jesus Christ's example. That's, that should be our life's goal. That's what the Bible says, that once we have accepted Christ, our destination determined ahead of time, that's just a long phrase to say our predetermined outcome, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is our goal that was set long before the foundation of the world. Romans chapter 13, and we'll close with this. Starting in verse number 8. The Bible tells us, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath, what is this? Fulfilled the law. For this... Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in the saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. 
and that, knowing the time, that now is the high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Verse 14 says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. What then is our lesson today? What should we learn from Scripture today? Our fleshly nature, our mortal tendency, as we gain knowledge, and as we begin to apply that knowledge to our lives, is that we will find ways to make it seem like we are wiser than the author of wisdom itself. As we gain all of this knowledge, we'll start trying to make ourselves look oh so smart and oh so wise. But then you see we start getting smart with wisdom. We start getting smart alecky with wisdom. That's not even a word. But friends, Christians, that is what we have seen Jesus facing throughout his walk through the temple in this chapter 12. These religious leaders thought they could outsmart the Lord using his words, sort of, to make themselves seem so wise. But what does your Bible tell you and what does my Bible tell me? Professing themselves to be wise, they became... Yeah, you can say it out loud. It's okay. Fools. As Paul wrote to these Romans, he said, Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, friends, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Jesus is coming back soon. Now's the time to cast off all of those inhibitions and start loving our neighbor and loving God. Pastor, would you close the service? tremendous responsibility because the flesh wants to love itself and the spirit wants us to love the Lord and to love our neighbors and our neighbors don't always make it easy do they but that's not the condition yes, that's right. we're to love them in spite of themselves right. because God loved us in spite of ourselves Amen. and the world needs to sample and to test I should say sample what the love of God is all about. And they do that through you and I. Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together. And Lord, for the reminder of how important love is. Not just for those who, who are able to return it. Not only in a sense that, Lord, uh, it's, it's a mate, a spouse, a family member. But Lord, even our arch enemies, those who might ridicule and scoff and mock us, Lord, they need to know the love of the Lord. And they learn that through us. So, Lord, love through us that we can love others as you have loved us. And, Father, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. Keep our folks safe through the storm that's coming up tonight. And, again, we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.